Good morning. Welcome to Radioactivity. I'm Rob Lorai. Coming up today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Republican convention last night, but we're going to look at a scenario where a big hurricane hits the Tampa Bay area. There's one heading for the uh, Texas-Louisiana coast right now. And we're going to talk about what would happen if a similar hurricane hit the Tampa Bay area on the first part of today's program. Later on, also, we'll hear a powerful discussion about racism. First, several listener comments about yesterday's program. Yesterday on the program, we got into a discussion about uh, why did so many manufacturing jobs leave the U.S.? And here's what a bunch of listeners had to say. My name is Rick, and I wanted to make a comment about the work that's gone to, has gone to China. I used to work in Ohio. I live in St. Pete now. And the main driver for sending stuff to China and Mexico was all about money. And I vividly remember I was just out of college and I was on an engineering program up in Ohio and Jack Welch was in charge of GE at that time. And he actually led the way for, you'll hear this term called outsourcing. And it was aimed at two things, drive down cost and to break the unions in uh, those states that you're talking about, Ohio, Indiana, all around the Great Lakes. And it was pretty successful. GE made a lot of money, but they shut down a lot of factories. This is Jim from Spring Hill. I just wanted to thank you for your show today. It was so informative, and I just wanted to thank you for putting the truth out there. We really appreciate it. Jay from St. Petersburg. I've been watching uh, both conventions. I say that the Republican convention is more stilted. I would uh, like to see uh, them bring back, it would be more entertainment if they would bring back Clint Eastwood talking to an empty chair for the Republican National Convention. This subject about factories moving away, it made me think of when my family moved here from Europe, actually Sweden, in 1980s, and Walmart used to have a lot of flyers, I mean, we got them every week in the mail, and they would state very clearly, made in America, on every item, every page in the flyer, with a big flag as well. Then their suppliers moved away, I guess, because the next flight, that, that didn't happen since then. Hi, this is Suzanne in Tampa. I'm calling about the convention. Uh, what is dumb Don talking about when he says our free speech is at risk under Biden? No one under Trump can speak their minds or they get fired and berated. And by the way, doesn't the GOP realize all the protests and the police murders are happening under Trump's reign. Biden and Harris will bring peace and fairness back. Please vote. Hello, this is Kevin from Bradenton. I would like to leave a comment about today's show, talking about the Republican convention, which I did not watch, but I listened to some of the highlights. And I wanted to mention that uh, it seems like the Republican Party is saying that they are the party of free speech. And I would say they're more like the party of hate speech and the party of climate deniers, the party of anti-mask wearers and total anti-science party. The other thing I would like to mention is after listening to a couple of the speeches, uh, Don Jr. in particular, I would have to mention this, that if hypocrisy had a smell, then the Republicans would have been handing out gas masks, just like the one that Matt Gates wore. 
when he was mocking the seriousness of COVID-19. I want to talk about lies and misinformation, referring to your show from Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Rob. This is Andy. Donald Trump wants us to believe the economy is doing great, as evidenced by the stock market. Most of us know that does not represent most Americans' wealth assessment. So from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, August 7th, 2020, their latest report. January 2010, 130 million jobs. January 2017, 145 million jobs. That's when he took office. And January 2020, 155 million jobs. That's a consistent 3 million jobs a year gain. Boom. But with the COVID, he dropped down to 130 million uh, jobs in July. And that is below where he came into office by 15 million and he's only gained about 10 million from the lowest point. He's still like 10 million jobs shy of when he came into office. And the jobs he gained are less than what he's lost. Thank you. This is Jeff from Tarpon Springs. That gentleman that you had on right near the end of the show who was insisting socialism would be like Cuba, you know, a good way to point out is Germany and Sweden and all those countries that you mentioned are social democratic republics. And they have a better standard of living than the average American. So, gentleman doesn't know what he's talking about. This is Tony uh, in Ohio. I just wanted to comment. Uh, I work for the school system here and belong to the union. We have somebody here called the Freedom Foundation who have landed in Ohio. Uh, they're funded by the Koch family and Betsy DeVos, and they're, they're trying to break up our union, which you can say goodbye to good wages and benefits if that happens. I think you can trace this back to the 80s when shareholders became more important than workers, and that, that started this kind of downward trend as far as wages and benefits. Well, those listener comments came in after yesterday's program. You're listening to Radioactivity on WMNF in Tampa. Hurricane Laura is rapidly intensifying, and forecasters now expect it to become a catastrophic Category 4 hurricane. It's already Category 3. It's approaching Texas and Louisiana. With landfall expected tonight, the uh, National Hurricane Center's Stacy Stewart says some people are going to wake up tomorrow and not believe what has happened. He says storm surge heights could top 15 feet in places, and what doesn't get blown down by the wind could easily get knocked down by water pushing well inland. More than a half million people are under evacuation orders right now. Hurricane force winds are expected to reach nearly 200 miles inland. We're going to talk about what would happen if a major hurricane hit the Tampa Bay area. Earlier this year, the uh, Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council conducted a study, and uh, they looked at a hypothetical Category 5 storm hitting the Tampa Bay area. They called it Hurricane Phoenix. It would arrive in mid-October, and we're going to hear that scenario. What would happen if such a big storm hit the Tampa Bay area, Category 5 storm? We're going to talk with Sarah Vitale, who's a senior planner at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council. Sarah Vitale, welcome back to WMNF. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. So we're looking at a hurricane, maybe a Category 4, Hurricane Laura, making landfall near the uh, Texas-Louisiana border later today. 
you have done projections at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council about a Category 5 storm hitting us. Let's talk about that. What was your scenario? Let me put it that way. So we created Hurricane Phoenix. It's the latest simulation of what could happen if a Category 5 hurricane were to make landfall here in the Tampa Bay area. So let me emphasize that Hurricane Phoenix is a hypothetical disaster. It's a simulation uh, that the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council created to help us learn and become better prepared for that worst-case storm scenario, which we know, um, us being a coastal community, we're certainly at risk for a storm like this. It happened with Hurricane Michael in 2018 in the Florida Panhandle. We've got two storms brewing in the Gulf right now. So we want to be prepared. We want to take steps to mitigate the impacts of a severe storm in our community. And uh, Project Phoenix was created to force a conversation about that worst-case scenario, the perfect storm. So the simulation shows Hurricane Phoenix making landfall just north of Indian Rocks Beach. And with its track, the wind and storm surge would have a devastating impact on the surrounding area. We're talking about winds over 150 miles per hour, up to 40 feet of storm surge in South Tampa. St. Petersburg would be extremely flooded. It really would appear to turn the Pinellas County Peninsula into an island. Um, The bridges would be impassable, affecting emergency response and supply chains. Our airports would be down. Port Tampa Bay, where our fuel is imported, could be greatly damaged. There would be widespread power loss um, that could last even for months. So, so, so th- those are some of the immediate impacts that we looked at. But, of course, there would be also long-term effects from Hurricane Phoenix on tourism, business activity, and the local economy that could take years, potentially up to a decade, to recover from. Let me just back up a little bit and ask you, why would Indian Rocks Beach or that area be the, the worst case for us to get hit by a Category 5 storm? So we designed the scenario the track so that it would hit that part of our region and the way that the winds are spinning the storm, you would have the most uh, devastating storm surge coming into the Bay Area. So that's where you would experience the most flooding and that's where the the highest density of our region is. So that's why we designed the storm to hit Indian Rocks Beach specifically. That's where the eye of the storm goes through. But we see a lot of the impacts of the storm with the storm surge coming through the bay. So the worst effects of a hurricane when it makes landfall are to the uh, east or to the right of the storm as we look at the map. And Tampa Bay would fill up like a bathtub overflowing because the winds would be pushing water into Tampa Bay. Absolutely. Uh, Like I said, up to potentially 40 feet of storm surge in some areas within uh, surrounding Tampa. Now, you looked at the six-county area. Um, it, that includes uh, Manatee and Hillsborough and Pinellas and Polk and then up the coast. If, if this Category 5 hurricane, a hypothetical Category 5 hurricane, were to hit at Indian Rocks Beach with the force of a Category 5 storm, what would be the areas? Let's go back a little bit more slowly because I, I'm sure people, their their eyes are popping out of their head right now. But what areas what areas would be underwater under this worst case scenario so immediately following the storm a majority of the land right along the coast would be flooded um indian rocks beach all along the the pinellas county barrier islands those would be 
flooded and uh, essentially Pinellas County could look like uh, an island. So all of the south portions of the county would, would experience extreme flooding. Um, the, the area surrounding Tampa Bay would be very flooded. And of course, that's, that's one of the impacts that we look at, but we also look at the effects of extreme wind. So we're talking about over 150 miles per hour wind. So a lot of, you could imagine there would be a lot of physical damage to um, buildings and structures all along the coast, um, coastal part of the region. Pinellas County would be hardest hit, but uh, let's uh, just drill down a little bit into uh, Hillsborough County. Um, what happens to Davis Island and Harbor Island? So Davis Island would be very flooded. Um, we, we took a look at some of the impacts to uh, critical facilities. We have uh, the hospital right there, and we know that the hospital would experience extreme flooding um, potentially flooding, reaching up to several stories of their parking garage. And um, it, it's a grim picture, uh, but, you know, I'm, I, I'd like to... One thing that's really unique about the project is uh, we presented this project as a training exercise. So along with the scenario, there are uh, videos that, that demonstrate what it would be like if Phoenix came to our area. So I really recommend everyone to check out those videos. Uh, they, they really help paint the picture of, of what the, the type of impacts could be. Um, and they, they even drill down into the Tampa Bay area, into Davis Island, and, and you see some simulated footage of storm surge affecting the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very eye-opening and, and compelling look at some of the damage that we experience. And much of the South Tampa Peninsula underwater Oldsmar and West Chase, underwater. What would happen to the Apollo Beach region on the eastern shores of Tampa Bay? Apollo Beach, yep, also experiencing a lot of flooding, immediately following the storm. Um, I'd like to also share, we have um, different things on our website. If you go to tampabayprepares.org, there's a tool there where you can type in your address for, for either your home or your business, and you can look on a map and, and see where exactly you live in relationship to the storm's impact and see, okay, if I lived here in this place, this is the type of storm surge I would have experienced, and this is the type of wind I could anticipate experiencing. So it's actually a really neat and personal look at, at your uh, impacts if you were to be hit, if we were be, to be hit by this Category 5 storm. Well, we're talking about what would happen if a Category 5 storm hypothetically hit the uh, Tampa Bay area at Indian Rocks Beach, and how would that storm affect us here in the Tampa Bay area with Sarah Vitale, who's a senior planner at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council. So what would happen to electricity uh, in these areas? Would anybody have electricity after such a storm would hit? Uh, Immediately, no. Uh, the electric power grid would certainly be damaged. Um, it's, it's hard to know exactly when power could be restored, but just learning from other areas who've experienced this type of disruption, it could take certainly weeks, potentially months, to restore power to some of the most uh, most damaged parts of the region. Now, how often does a Category 5 storm hit the U.S.? What, what's the track record for such a big storm hitting the U.S.? Well, uh, forecasters from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, 
uh, say that 2020 could be one of the most active hurricane seasons we've ever had. And researchers from Colorado State University predict as many as 20 named storms. Um, so I, I think that we, we have the science to, and evidence to state that these storms are increasing in intensity. And uh, unfortunately, it seems that a Hurricane Phoenix is not really a matter of if, but when um, we could experience a, a type of storm like this hitting our region. We've been very lucky. It's been over 100 years uh, since a, a, a severe storm has directly hit our area. So, um, you know, acknowledging that this is happening more frequently and with more intensity, uh, the time to acknowledge that risk and, and prepare for it really is now. Your hypothetical storm hits in October, and I always think, well, October, it begins to cool off here, and the Gulf waters begin to to uh, uh, cool a little bit, and it's not as dangerous in October as it is, let's say, in August and September. Um, why did you choose October? Well, I the, we chose October, certainly it's included within the you know hurricane season time range, and I think it's a reminder that we're not out of the, the clear. Uh, yes, the most active parts of, of the hurricane season are August, September, but in October, you're certainly not out of, out of the clear. So, um, you know, that that's kind of the idea there is, is we wanted to put it maybe later into the fall, just a reminder that throughout hurricane season, you need to be prepared well, let's talk about those preparations. You've got this dire situation under Hurricane Phoenix, the hypothetical hurricane hitting the Tampa Bay area at the worst point at Indian Rocks Beach. Um, if we do get a hurricane, the likelihood of hit, it hitting there directly, I would imagine, is like uh, the lottery, maybe, that this worst-case scenario is not going to happen. But we know that some of this can happen if a hurricane hits, especially a Category 4 or 3. So tell us, what should we be doing? What should we be thinking about as individuals, you know, homeowners, apartment renters? And what, what should we be thinking mm -hmm. about as a community uh, to prepare for something like this happening? So we encourage people to make their disaster plan well in advance of hurricane season and to know your home and know your zone. So know whether your home is strong enough to withstand a hurricane, whether you live in a flood-prone area, and whether it's safe to shelter in place in your home, or if you need to evacuate to a safe location outside of the storm's path. Uh, that safe location could be a family or friend's house, a hotel, uh, even a hurricane shelter if necessary. Um, and we encourage people to evacuate tens of miles, not hundreds of miles, so that we can avoid clogging up the roads and making it more difficult for others to, to evacuate. So get yourself out of harm's way, but you don't need to travel thousands of miles into other states, especially now with the, the COVID-19 pandemic happening. So again, the COVID-19 pandemic makes storm season even riskier. Um, if a storm like this were to, to happen this year, let's all knock on wood, uh, emergency planners are asking residents to shelter in place at home if possible and to only evacuate if absolutely necessary so that we can save space and shelters for those who really need it, for those who don't have anywhere else to go and, and live in an unsafe area or housing stock. 
Um, we want to lower the risk of transmitting the virus. So there will be social distancing, checking temperatures, mask wearing in these shelters. But lowering, lowering the number of people we need to shelter is an important factor in keeping safe social distance in place. And Sarah, you, you talked about uh, going to a home where it's safe from a hurricane. After Hurricane Andrew hit in South Florida in the early 1990s, counties and cities around the state revamped the building codes. I think the state revamped the building code. So what's the year that we should look for in a structure uh, that, uh, you know, to make sure that that structure is built up to current hurricane code? So that year is 2002. So you may be able to shelter in place if you live outside of a flood hazard area in a home built under the 2002 building code or or after. And um, one thing is you'll want to know what your county's evacuation zone guidelines are. And they're specific from county to county, but uh, they range from being in an evacuation level A where you're along the coast and, and you may be ordered to evacuate sooner. Um, and then they range from A through E. So if, if they're all determined by storm surge, projected storm surge. But um, you'll want to know, am I in uh, evacu- evacuation level B? If they order us to evacuate anyone who lives within B, uh, I certainly should, should know that in advance and, and be prepared to, to evacuate. Um, and then also, if, if you live in a mobile home, an RV, or a manufactured home, uh, regardless of your evacu- evacuation level, you um, must evacuate um, no matter where you are in the county. These these are homes that um, may be unsafe to stay in if there were a severe storm coming through. And the danger, of course, from the hurricane is not just the wind ripping through as the hurricane hits, but the storm surge that comes with it. Do most people die from drowning in hurricanes? Is that is that true? I know that a, a lot of people die, unfortunately, in the storm surge. It's an extremely dangerous situation if you find yourself in that. And then after the storm, the conditions in your in your home in your neighborhood could be unsafe. So that I know that a lot of people, unfortunately, find themselves in, in dangerous situations when they're returning back to their home or um, immediately following the storm when there's still flooding in the area. Um, there's potentially downed power lines. Um, there's, you know, the potential for gas leaks. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of situations that could occur immediately following the storm that pose a threat. So I, I know that that's a factor as well. Our guest is Sarah Vitale. She's a senior planner at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council. We're talking about a hypothetical scenario when a Category 5 storm uh, would hit the Tampa Bay area, what would be the outcome of it? And this is WMNF in Tampa. So, Sarah, I asked you about what people personally should do. Now that you've done this scenario, what should people in county government and, and small businesses and, and big businesses, what should they be considering as a result of your study? Well, the, the Project Phoenix Um, is a training exercise, and we really did focus on small businesses and their short and long-term recovery after these major disasters. Um, And it was planned as a four-hour tabletop exercise for small business owners and emergency staff from local governments. And um, the way that we've moved forward uh, is to provide these training materials online. 
and they include critical information that local governments and chambers of commerce can use to examine important issues facing small businesses. Uh, they can apply these materials to host their own training events, either virtually or in person, once it's safe to do so. And um, I really encourage anyone who's interested in learning more about how to prepare their business, uh, how to prepare communities to, you know, if, if you work in community development and you're working with small businesses, there's a, a series of training materials, including videos, a hurricane situation manual, a webinar, and other tools that can be applied and customized for different audiences. And these tools and resources can walk business owners through what they can do now to make a difference. Um, an example is to develop a continuity plan to evaluate your insurance needs and to develop responses to human resource issues and, and protect your, your business properties. Sarah, we, we talked about the hospital on Davis Island, and, and uh, we haven't really talked about the uh, bridges or the approaches to bridges, but uh, and also some of our major institutions are near the water. So mm -hmm. should we be considering pulling back from being so close to the water with many of these things, and, and should we be hardening our, our bridges and our bridge approaches so that they're not overrun by water uh, should the big one hit? Certainly, uh, and all of those are, are factors that uh, are considered when we do these long-term plans, um, making sure that we are thinking about uh, this risk of storm surge and, and also sea level rise, and thinking through how, we, how often we improve our, our infrastructure, especially our bridge systems. Um, if you look at our region, you know, we rely on these bridges heavily, and um, it's important to consider the, the long-term sustainability and resiliency of these, these networks. So uh, we, we mentioned that the St. Petersburg would become an island. The uh, intersection of 5th Avenue North and 34th Street would be the center of that island. And, and the, the <laughs> uh, gateway area, the Feather Sound, Pinellas Park, Leelman, uh, Kansas City, East Largo, all would be underwater under this scenario. So how would, if there's an island there, how do you get food to those people who are sheltering in the last last bit of land that's still still up uh, in, mm -hmm. in St. Petersburg. So I, you could look towards examples of other communities who have experienced this, this type of devastating storm. Um, you could think back to what happened with Hurricane Katrina and you, you see um, helicopters flying in, emergency resources. I imagine that immediately following the storm, that would be the, the approach that's taken is to uh, do do that sort of um, helicopter fly-in resources to those who are still there. Um, and then eventually when the, the storm surge subsides, there's uh, the, the potential that these bridges would be down. I would imagine that a lot of the aid would come from the northern part of the region back south. Um, I also imagine that there'd be the potential for uh, boats to be applied to, to help bring in uh, different resources to this area that wouldn't be flooded but surrounded by water. Mm. How, how much food and water should we set aside for a hurricane? How much should we have at home uh, in preparation for a hurricane? Right. <laughs> in terms of actual supplies for your hurricane kit, 
Um, the state recommends at least a seven-day supply of, of non-perishable food items, your medicines and water, all the essential items that you'll need after the storm. The recommendation is one gallon of water per person per day. Um, now, that's a lot of water, but it's important to be over-prepared than to find yourself in a situation where you don't have clean and safe drinking water. Um, I'll also note, you know, don't forget about your, your pets. You know, make sure you have a plan for them. Not all shelters throughout the region are pet-friendly, friend- although many will accept pets, but you need to be prepared and, and know this information in advance. Sarah Vitali, is there anything else that, that you'd like to tell us about uh, the Hurricane Phoenix scenario, the worst-case scenario that you uh, simulated and studied uh, uh, hitting the Tampa Bay area? Is there anything else that you'd like to point out about your simulation and how we can better prepare? Well, I really encourage everyone to to watch this video that we've created that accompanies the, the training resources and the simulation. It really helps to make this exercise feel real, and it's very eye-opening. Uh, you can find it at tampabayprepares.org, along with our organization's Regional Planning Council Disaster Planning Guide. So that will walk you through the steps to prepare your home and business for hurricanes. It's available in English and Spanish for participating counties. And I also recommend that you connect with your county's emergency management office uh, their website and social media offer a ton of great resources. Sarah Vitali, thanks for coming on WMNF. Good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. That's Sarah Vitali, who's a senior planner at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council. Again, that website that you can go to is tampabayprepares.org. And uh, we did that interview as Hurricane Laura is bearing down on Texas and Louisiana with what could be a 15-foot storm surge and 200-mile-an-hour winds. It could reach a Category 4 strength by tonight, and it's going to hit that area overnight tonight. You're listening to WMNF in Tampa. We're going to open up the phone lines in a few minutes and take your phone calls. Our phone number is 813-239-9663. And our email address is dj at wmnf.org. We're going to talk about the Republican convention day two last night. And um, we'll also hear a powerful statement about racism. And uh, we're going to get the perspective of one of the uh, leading coaches in the NBA in just a second. Uh, again, if you want to send us an email, send it to dj at wmnf.org or call us at 813-239-9663. Well, last night, Los Angeles Clippers coach Doc Rivers was asked about the recent police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Blake is an African-American who was shot multiple times in the back Sunday by police. The uh, coach did not hold back with his... Uh, powerful statement about how he feels about police killings of black people. There have been nightly protests in Kenosha following the Blake shooting, and though Blake did survive, a lawyer for the family said Tuesday it was unlikely he would ever walk again. His family has called for the protest to be peaceful, though there has been violence. There have been a couple of unexplained killings that the police are still investigating in the area, and there have been armed groups patrolling the streets of Kenosha not affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement. So uh, we're going to hear what uh, Clippers coach Doc Rivers said yesterday when he was asked about the uh, killing, or rather the, uh, the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake. This is, a, 
This is a powerful statement. Let's listen to what he had to say. The situation, um, it's just so sad. Um, you know, it, what stands out to me is um, just just watching the Republican uh, convention and this this spewing this fear, right? Like all you hear is Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing a fear. It's it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country, and this country does not love us back. And it's just it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We got to do better. Uh, but we got to demand better. Like we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us. Just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard like to just keep watching it that video if if you watch that video you don't need to be black to be outraged you don't you need to be american and outraged and how dare the republicans talk about fear we're the ones that need to be scared we're the ones having to talk every to every black child what white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Thank you. Well, that was Doc Rivers, uh, the uh, basketball coach at the Los Angeles Clippers last night, who um, was asked about the recent police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. What do you think about what he had to say? Our phone number is 813-239-9663. Our email address, dj at wmnf.org. Last night was the uh, second night of the uh, Republican event. Not really a convention, but really uh, kind of a, a television uh, series of televised speeches uh, touting uh, President Trump's re-election. And let's listen to a report from the Associated Press about uh, some of what happened last night 
Uh, there were several members of the Trump family who uh, gave speeches last night. Here's a report from the AP's Sagar Magani. Melania Trump was the keynote speaker, praising her husband in a Rose Garden address as she referenced the virus pandemic. Donald will not rest until he has done all he can to take care of everyone impacted. Earlier, Eric Trump and half-sister Tiffany spoke. I'm proud to show my children what their grandfather's fighting for. Make America Great Again is not a slogan for my father. It is what drives him. With the night two tone more positive than the convention's opening session, the president himself appeared on video twice, once pardoning a convicted felon and then watching a naturalization ceremony. Sagar Magani, Washington. So did you watch the convention last night? What did you think? Uh, what did you think of Doc Rivers' uh, statement there uh, after the game last night in Los Angeles and uh, hurricanes? Category four hurricane could hit Louisiana and Texas tonight. It looks like it's almost certain to happen. Uh, 813-239-9663. That's the number to call. Jack in Palm Harbor writes, watched some of the speeches at the convention and was astounded at those who still drink the Kool-Aid and will buy into this. They were trying to paint Trump in an image opposite of what he was, uh, writes Jack in Palm Harbor. Let's go to Tom in Lakeland. Tom, thanks for calling in. What would you like to say? Well, I agree with the coach that we need to do a lot. There's no question about that. But also, I don't know if you heard Herschel Walker uh, talk. He's a black man. Yeah, we played talk. a little bit of it. Yes, yes, we played okay. a little bit of it. Yeah. Uh, we need to get a little bit of that positive stuff in there from from Herschel that he's known Donald Trump for 37 years as a close friend, knows his family, been with his family for those 37 years, many occasions extremely close friend he said he volunteered to come on and talk about him and that he feels insulted if people say donald trump is a racist because he knows him better than most people know and i just wanted to point that out of all course, right everybody's going to say that herschel doesn't know him very well only 37 years i'll leave it at that all right tom thanks a lot thanks for your phone call and let's go to margaret in tampa margaret what would you like to say uh, margaret Margaret, you're listening, I think, uh, on the delay. So, uh, Margaret, we will pick you up in a moment. That means we have an open line, and you'll be able to get on the show if you call 813-239-9663. Let's go to Jose. Uh, Jose, uh, where are you? Uh, Tarpon Springs. All right. Thanks for calling. What's up? Uh, first of all, you took me by surprise. I didn't <laughs> expect to get on this quick. Well, um, we just opened up the lines, yeah. Yeah, the RNC, uh, RNC speeches last night, I found it kind of ironic that uh, that Donald Trump was uh, pushing for his, uh, and, and really it's not even an RNC, uh, uh, Republican National Convention anymore, it's basically the Donald Trump show. And some of his opening acts included a, um, a, a uh, someone getting naturalized, which is hilarious considering that Trump has signed over 400 anti-immigrant um, uh, uh, uh pieces of legislation since his uh, since he's been in office uh, it's like he's just deciding that he can come out with a um a a token uh version of each of the things he's actually against and say look i did this for this person and that's it you know uh it's kind of embarrassing really 
Well, the, the last caller said that uh, Herschel Walker's uh, speech uh, on Monday night convinced him that Donald Trump was not racist. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, it, it, Donald Trump can find somebody in every field, in every uh, instance, where he could find someone who will back him. He can find a doctor that will say, oh, masks aren't important. He can find uh, he can find anybody like that. So, uh, yeah, he found the he he has a black man, and I'm sure Herschel Walker is sincere in what he's saying, but he's not paying attention to what Trump is actually doing. All right, Jose, thanks a lot. Thank you for calling okay. in. And all right, uh, bye bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, we have another open line, 813-239-9663 is that open line. Uh, Bradley writes this, uh, everyone is probably aware that the mail delivery time is slowed. I used to receive Netflix twice a week, and now it's once every other week. This week I discovered something more nefarious. My mail is not being delivered. Instead, it's being returned to sender. This has occurred with three bills I pay by mail, forcing me to pay online and late. Not only do the late payments affect my credit score, it also deprives the Postal Service of income. I'd planned on voting by mail, but I will no longer do so. Please inform your listeners, writes Bradley, who's out there in cyberspace. So, Bradley, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I uh, had a friend order a book in the mail for another friend for a birthday party. And they ordered it about uh, four or five days ahead of time. Uh, and the book didn't arrive to more than 10 days after the birthday. Uh, and I saw a report yesterday, and I'll see if I can find it. It says that the mail service has slowed by about 8% uh, during the last few months. Uh, 813-239-9663. Uh, Ron in West Tampa says, The coach is right. The Republicans talk about fear, yet it's black folks who are being shot and white nationalists carrying the guns. Black folks have every right to be angry and tired and fearful, and they shouldn't have to be, writes Ron in West Tampa. Uh, 813-239-9663. Remember that phone number. And uh, let's go to the person who's been holding the longest, and that would be Margaret in Tampa. Margaret, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, we weren't able to connect last time. Are you listening on your phone right now? Yes. Good. Uh, Thank you. There's a delay in your listening to the radio and then calling in, so that that's kind right. of confusing. That's right. Hello? Yeah, there is a delay. that you got to listen on your phone. But what would you right. like to say? Okay. Well, I, well, I didn't watch the uh, Republican convention because I can't stomach, stomach that. But I was able to see some snippets of it on the news and on Stephen Colbert, which I watch all the time. So I got to see that it seems more like a Klan rally to me than a, a real convention. All of the lies that are being spewed out, trying to put fear in people and lying on people, that is just ridiculous. And so not all Caucasians, but those that are, those are the ones I'm talking about. But also, I want to appeal to those black people who continue to call in and try to appeal to uh, the Caucasians that don't want you to be a part of this country to beg in them and want them to follow the Constitution. This administration is not interested in following the Constitution. And so we need to get away from all that. We've been begging for too long. We just need to really do what we need to do and stop wanting somebody to include you if they don't want to include you in it. Although we know who we are, we don't have to prove or beg anyone else to accept us. So I hope we'll get past that. 
All right, Margaret, thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks okay. for calling. All right. Uh, we've heard a lot of people so far. We're going to hear from a bunch more. You're listening to 88.5 FM. Kevin writes this. Thanks for playing Doc Rivers' speech. The Republicans' response to Doc Rivers is usually just shut up and dribble. That's uh, Kevin's opinion out there. And uh, let's go back to the phones. And uh, we're going to, uh, by the way, uh, thanks to uh, Cindy Philpot. She's uh, doing the phone work for us today. That's the hard work here. Let's go to Lori in St. Petersburg. Lori, thank you for calling. What would you like to say? Hey, Rob. Um, I was listening to the show yesterday, and I wasn't able to get in, but um, there was discussion. You had discussed the uh, loss of manufacturing jobs in um in, in the north. That's right. And I I grew up in Danville, Illinois, which is now considered one of the armpits of Illinois. Um, and it had had a GM plant there. And a lot of my family members, um, this was in the 70s when I was growing up, a lot of my family members worked there, but then it closed down. And, uh, and then uh, over the years, I watched my father um, and some of, my, some of those family members Start to listen to um, as Rush Limbaugh and the other you know, right-wing uh, radio hosts started popping up, um, and I, I, I watched my father become really, you know, obsessed with Rush Limbaugh and and those other uh, commentators. And what I watched my dad do over the decades is. And because what they tell people to do is pull yourself up by their bootstraps. And they really make men and women, but men, I think, specifically because there's such pride in this country about work and providing. I watched him just struggle with his own painting business um, and, and just feeling so much shame and getting a lot of shame from my mother against him because she listened to that stuff, too, because he wasn't, quote, unquote, making it. And so in the Republican Party, there is such a, a sense of you are at fault if you can't make it in this country. And so what I watched happen, and I, what I think happens with a lot of these individuals, is they then have to turn and blame somebody else so they don't feel it's all their fault. So it's the immigrants' fault. It's the black people's fault. Oh, we're supporting people on welfare. Um, so I just wanted to comment on that because I just I think part of the Kool-Aid is that. Um, and in order for what I watched my dad do is, you know, he just, he, he was so hard on himself because he worked as hard as he could and he, he found that he still couldn't make it. Um, so that's just what I wanted to say. So Lori, I, I, I grew up in a similar area and I, I can remember, um, the people that were part of the union, whether it was the Teamsters or the steel workers or the iron workers or the paper mill workers, the, the, or the United Electrical Workers, the the people that I knew that worked uh, were members of a union would usually go out and buy a new car every couple of years, every two years. Uh, mm-hmm. Some some had hunting camps in the mountains. Uh, some had uh, boats, and and they lived lived the union people that I knew lived a, a pretty middle class life. It wasn't they weren't super wealthy, but they were able to buy the finer things of the time. Yeah. Is that is it yeah. is that what you remember in Danville? Um yes, that's that's what I remember and I you know I remember my my uh great aunt had a great job at 
my God, it was a phone company. It's something Bell. It, was, it doesn't even exist anymore. But, you know, there were jobs and people were Yeah, Bell, Bell Telephone, yeah. Something like that, yeah. But, you know, they were able to make it in own homes. And, you know, and at the, you know, not until the end of my dad's life, because we differed politically, obviously. And I, I was a social worker, and I would say, when we would have any kind of, usually it was an argument, he would say, well, there's help out there if those people need it. There's help out there if those people need it. And I would say, Dad, I'm a social worker. I look for the help. It's not there. And he wouldn't believe it until, unfortunately, he went into kidney failure and he needed help. And guess what? He couldn't get it. He couldn't find it. And and uh, it was very, very difficult. You know, we all had to help him in the in, in, towards the end of his life. And then he really, unfortunately, it wasn't until the end of his life when he needed help, became aware of that. Yeah, that was true. But again, you know, just the the shame that that the Republican uh, mouthpieces instill in people by saying, you know, the whole pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can make it in this country if you work hard enough. And people try and try and try, and they can't. And unfortunately, some people with certain, you know, mentalities um, uh, then need to blame someone else just to not feel so badly about themselves. That's yeah. my all right, Lori, thank you. Psychology. Thank you thank very you. much. Thanks. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Really important to hear uh, Lori's experience. And this is 88.5 FM. Uh, let's go to Laura in St. Petersburg. Laura, thank you for calling. What would you like to say? Hi, Rob. Um, I just have a, I have an observation that I've made about Trump recently. Um, and it's, I haven't heard anybody talking about it. But um, it's regarding the way that he presents himself physically. Um, like, uh, I know the Lincoln Projects made a big deal out of Trump is not well, and they talk about the odd way that he leans forward and uh, drinks water with two hands, things like that. He just looks like a weak man. Well, I've been noticing just the past couple days with the RNC, he stands differently. He stands with his legs apart in a really strong fashion he his whole body language is different his posture is improved and i can't figure out what it's about but it's it's definitely there uh, i don't know what to make of it does he have some kind of a apparatus that he's wearing that makes him that way his stomach is sucked in he looks like a strong person <laughs> have you noticed that uh, i have not uh, but i will pay attention and, yeah, pay yeah. attention. It's okay. really weird, and it's not my imagination. Okay, I but. believe you. I believe you. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Laura. Uh, 813-239-9663. I think the president, though, is really good at looking at his tapes and uh, learning from what uh, he sees on the tapes of his speeches. So I think I think any good politician has to do that. Uh, so if he l- realizes that he's slumping or that his stomach is hanging out, uh, maybe he does suck it in just because, you know, he's looking at his tapes. That's what, um, that's what a lot of politicians do. Uh, let's go to Stanley in Tampa. Stanley, thank you for calling. What would you like to say? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, well, Doc Rivers is really sad to, to hear the heartbreak in his voice as he talks about that shooting. It, it, and it's, it's tragic to watch that video, uh, just as many other videos. Um, you know, it, it sometimes makes me feel ashamed to be a, 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 a white, you know, a Caucasian man. Um, I, you know, I just cannot imagine what, um, you know, what black people go through. 
Um, you know, you, you have to walk in their shoes, and that's impossible to do. When you know, I, I'm so glad. I'm problems. so glad he said what he said. It is. It is direct. It's honest. It's. It's. I, I think it's one of the best things I've heard uh, about the black experience uh, in the last few weeks. It's really a powerful, powerful statement. That's why uh, I played it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was very powerful. And then the Republican convention, um, just to hear so many lies and continuation of lies that, that are, are repeatedly said, and uh, listening to to Eric Trump, and I think he kind of ended basically saying, "Well, let's win this one for you know um, Trump's brother that died. I forget if his name was Robert or what, but that." You know, that kind of summarizes, you know, it's not doing anything for the country. It's doing it for the Trump family. Yeah. All right. Stanley, thank you. Thank you for thank the you, call. Rob. All right. Good to hear from you. And uh, let's go to uh, Libby in Palm Harbor. Uh, Libby, uh, what would you like to say? Um, well, the earnest young man who worked at Starbucks last night, the young <clears throat> African-American fellow, who said that we all want the same thing, we all want a cup of coffee. Uh, the issue isn't because what, the one thing we would like that all of us want is not to be shot in the back seven times with your children in the car. And unfortunately, my white privilege means that I probably wouldn't have been shot in that situation, no matter what the domestic dispute, no matter what if they find a knife on the floor of the car, I don't think I would have been shot like he was. And it makes me really sad to think that so many of our black community live in such fear of a simple traffic stop. And, and there really hasn't been much discussion at all at the, at the RNC about the police treatment of black people. Oh, no. In fact, he said, remember, at the convention, rough them up a little bit, you know, put them in the car tough. <laughs> that yeah. was his comment at the convention. Yeah. And uh, the... And the Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, we're almost at the end of the show. I just was going to say, do you have anything else? Uh, well, yes. Uh, as far as pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, well, a hike in the minimum wage to maybe $18, you know, $18 an hour or $20 an hour and getting the money out of politics so that people wouldn't have to work three jobs might make people be able to afford boots. Much less bootstrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those businesses that pay people uh, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven dollars an hour are, oh, yeah. are are making billions of dollars of profit. Oh yeah, and, and, and so and they're, not, and and they're, they're telling us they can't afford it. Um, well, right. and, and and when you're paid eight dollars and fifty cents an hour, whatever it is here in Florida right now, you're yeah. you're living below the poverty line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Libby, thank you. Thank you. Certainly. Love your show. Thank you for saying that. If you want to comment about today's show, please call us up at 813-238-8001 and record your comment about this program on extension 115. And when you call and record that, uh, we'll play it back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Cindy Philpont, our phone producer today. Nola is coming up next on the Midpoint program. He's live. He's in the studio. And he's fired up. So stick around for NOLA's Midpoint program. Thanks for listening. This is WMNF Tampa, St.